Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Northboro Church of Christ YouTube channel. And thank you for everyone that subscribed to the channel. Our numbers slowly are creeping upward, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, if you'd like, you can also, just as a reminder, to ring the bell or click the bell, and you'll be able to receive notifications uh, whenever there is a new video that's posted to the YouTube channel. Thank you also for all of the podcast listeners. I, I pray that our voices are soothing, if you will, not because we're teaching a false gospel, but but that you're being encouraged spiritually through the preaching, the true, genuine preaching of the Word of God. So thank you all, whether it's podcasts or the YouTube channel itself. Thank you. We are in Exodus 16, and the title of this message is God Manifests Manna and Rest. We are at a point in Israel's history where they have left Egypt. Pharaoh's army is no longer in chase of them, and they find themselves in the wilderness, murmuring and complaining. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bash them for that. I, I imagine it was pretty difficult. Uh, but what the one thing we need to keep in mind in context is that they were free. They were free from slavery. And if that's all God did for them, that would have been enough. But he doesn't just do that, does he, as we see. He isn't just trying to get them free from Egypt and free from the Egyptian army and free from slavery and free from Pharaoh, is he? Is he? No. He wants to free them and he has freed them, but he's also promised them what? promised land so not just being freed from sin or free from slavery but promised land the christian as well we can see the connection can't we i don't even need to explain it but i will anyway we are freed from sin and also given a promise of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells a new land if you will heaven and there's much to be gained by studying Israel's history. So as we go to Exodus 16, keep in mind, they were free from slavery. As we have been, those of us who are in Christ, we have been freed from slavery. And we're going to take a look at their murmurings. We're going to take a look at the teaching uh, and the bread from heaven, which is the manna. And we're also going to take a look at the Sabbath. Before this time, even in the book of Genesis, we do not see a commandment by God to observe the Sabbath. And this is a real problem for those who would keep the Sabbath even today, strictly as a rule of God, as a command. Israel had forgotten if they did know about the Sabbath because God has instructed them in this very chapter in Exodus 16 to observe Observe the, uh, the Sabbath, excuse me. Before this time, we have no other command given by God. So the Sabbath command was not an everlasting command. This is the first time we're seeing it commanded to Israel. Israel had been freed from slavery, and we as Christians, we have been freed from sin, the slavery to sin, and we have an everlasting dwelling place that we're headed towards. And so it makes sense then when Israel is complaining against Moses and Aaron because they don't have any food, that Moses tells them, you're not complaining against us, you're complaining against God. 
Let's take a look at that in Exodus chapter 16. Let's start in verse 1. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. They're not thinking rationally, are they? Did Moses and Aaron bring them out into the wilderness? No, God did. Did they bring them out into the wilderness so that they could just starve of hunger? No. But that's what they're saying. And sometimes our complaining can lead to irrationality. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Continuing on in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my, my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. Remember that. For your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. How could Moses say that to them, that their grumblings were against God? I mean, Moses and Aaron, they're the figureheads, right? They're the ones who are leading the charge, right? But how are they doing it? They're doing it by the power of God. God is the one who led them out of Egypt. And so what God has already provided for you, is it not enough? Our grumbling is against God. And say, no, I'm just complaining about my uh, coffee not being made right. Is that worth complaining about? In view of what we have waiting for us? Our coffee's made wrong. And I'm talking to myself too because I can do the same thing. I can complain about the little things, but when we take a step back from it and realize what we've been freed from, brothers and sisters, I think those complaining, uh, those little things that we complain about, if we allow God and his spirit to work and be mindful of just what it is we're promised, those complaining, those things will be, those things will go away. Those little things we complain about are nothing in the big picture. They were complaining against God. Now, let's, let's just be mindful. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. Now, let's just remember this in the context of where we are now in Exodus 16. And I just want to start reading in 23 of Exodus 2. Exodus 2, 23. Now, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. What were they doing? They were crying out to God because of their bondage. Crying out to God. And God heard them. God took notice of them. 
And then now we go back to Exodus. Let's fast forward to Exodus 16. Now that they've been free from their bondage that they were crying out to God because of, now they're complaining because they don't have enough food. Oh, how quickly the blessing can become a burden to us. Get that new job. What a blessing. And a year later, what a burden. Why is that? Maybe we don't have the right perspective sometimes. I know I don't. And Israel had forgotten where they'd come from. And brothers and sisters, we can't forget where we've come from either. We've come from a desolate, destitute position under sin and on our way to hell to being redeemed, bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And now we're on our way to glory to see God face to face. We can't ever forget that. If we do, we begin to complain. We begin to grumble. We begin to be discontent with the blessings that we do have. So they were crying out to God in Exodus 2 because of their bondage. God delivered them from their bondage and now they're complaining that they don't have any food. Wanting to go back to the bondage. Because the pots were full of meat and they ate bread to the full. The Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah gives us a pretty good perspective on this. And Jer- uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Now, there's some translations that would, they'll, they'll phrase this a little differently. I'm using the New American Standard. And I'm going to go to verse 39. Lamentations three thirty nine, and this is what Jeremiah says. Now he's looking around and he's seeing the des- uh, the desecration of Jerusalem, and he's seeing uh, the foreign armies come in and invade it. They're ransacking it, and it's just a horrible scene for the Jews in Jerusalem. And in verse thirty nine, he says this: Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view? Of his sins. Other translations say, How can we even dare to complain knowing what we've done? Let me let me just go to um, the NIV, and this is what it says. Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? And that's true as well. And I think the idea is, is that in view of our sin, whether we're being punished for it or we're being forgiven of it. How can we offer complaint? If I know that my sin has separated me from God for all eternity, but then that changed when someone brought the gospel to me and I believed it, and I've confessed my sins, I've been baptized into Christ, I've repented, I've changed my, I've cut the cord, if you will, on my old life. And now my hope is in eternity, as we've said before. Complaining? About what? Oh, that's so difficult, though. Isn't it? I've been guilty of it. And I hope that this is just an encouragement for all of us to remember and to to learn the lesson from Israel here, that they've been freed, and now they're still complaining. 
because they've forgotten their freedom. Jeremiah says, how can we complain in view of our sin? And so their murmurings, remember that they were crying out to God because they didn't, they couldn't stand the bondage. And God heard them and delivered them. And now they're complaining that they want to go back to the bondage because of the physical food that they could enjoy. Whereas in the wilderness of sin, they're struggling. They don't have food or they don't have enough food. And Jeremiah gives us the perspective that how can we complain in view of our sin, whether it be forgiven or if we have sinned and we're being punished for it, how can we complain? And what about the manna, though, that God provides back in Exodus 16? God provides this, and God said this, and starting in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 16, 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Here we have the very first time that God is commanding a Sabbath rest. You can say, well, isn't this before the Ten Commandments? Yeah, it is. It is before the Ten Commandments. It's reiterated in the Ten Commandments. But here we have for the first time a command to rest. And so they gather the manna just enough for a day at a time. And then on the sixth day, they gather two days worth, twice as much. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it is the Lord. Who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And man shall not live by bread alone, right? Moses recalls in Deuteronomy. The wilderness wanderings. And I just want to go over there real quick in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And when I say man shall not live by bread alone, what comes to your mind? How much? I, I want to bet. I don't bet, but I'm just using it, using that term. I bet you Matthew 4 came to mind. Maybe for some of us, Deuteronomy 8 as well. Uh, but this is where Moses is rehashing, if you will, the history of Israel. They're about to enter into the promised land. And so he says, starting in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 8, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Now I'm going to go back to the New American Standard. Verse 2, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here they were so consumed with trying to get physical food that they did not listen to the command of God. And we're going to see that here as we go back to Exodus 16. 
Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. In which you will, uh, and land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. <laughs> Continuing on, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Hmm. He's reminding them. See, God gave you manna for 40 years. He provided for you every single morning. Clothes didn't wear out. Feet didn't swell. You didn't lack for anything. You may not have had the abundance, but you didn't lack. Remember that, Israel. Remember that when you go into the good land, And you do have an abundance and things start to multiply and the fat starts building up around your heart and you get so prideful that you forget God. Remember what he's done for you. And see, they were so busy worrying about physical food that they had forgotten to obey the word of God. Other passages in the Old Testament, Psalms 119, Amos 8. Describe the word of God as honey. And Amos describes a famine that's going to take place with regard to the word of God. And brothers and sisters, I think as as a whole, as Christians, not just in Northboro, but as a whole, genuine Christians, we need to keep this in mind, that the word of God should be like honey to us, to the taste. And we want to digest it. We, We desire that sweet nectar of the word of God. And there should never be a famine of the word of God. I mean, we neglect the word of God. We neglect time to read. We neglect time to study. Say, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. It's not commanded. Brothers and sisters, if we need a command to get into the word of God, we're in trouble already. We desire to go to the honey. You don't have to tell me to go. I'm already there. I want to be in the word of God. There's no famine here. And what happens sometimes is there's a famine in our own lives individually 
not a famine in the church we belong to, not a famine in the groups that we're in, the small groups, but there's a famine in our own individual life, and then we turn around and wonder why we're malnourished. And brothers and sisters, these folks, they weren't malnourished because they weren't going to be provided for physically. They were malnourished because they were disobeying the word of God. And here's what he says. Starting in verse, let's start in verse um, 13. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he had, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. See, they, they didn't listen. So they're violating the word of God, and now they're, they're about to violate the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to leave anything over, but they did. Why? Maybe it was a lack of trust. Maybe they thought they needed to hold on to it as they had it, as they could gather it. I need to, I need to hold on to it. And that's not what God said to do. It's not what Moses said to do. Reading on, verse 22, now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath of observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over, put it aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, in that, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day, the Sabbath, that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. God had told them not to do it. Gather twice as much on the sixth day so that you can rest on the seventh because there's not going to be any manna on the seventh day. But they went out anyway to look for some and they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. <laughs> the true manna from heaven God provides. And he says, gather it as much as you need a day at a time. But on the sixth day, gather two days worth. Because on the seventh day, I want you to rest. When you think about this manna from heaven. Makes me think about Jesus. 
doesn't it you? John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the true bread which comes out of heaven. And when Jesus compares himself to the manna that cometh from heaven, he is much greater. Because not only is his body and blood for Jews, but it's for the whole world. And he describes it in John chapter 6. He feeds the 5,000. They're asking him for a sign. He says, you don't seek me because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. It makes me think of Israel as they're leaving the promised land and in the Sinai wilderness of sin. Were they really seeking freedom? Were they really seeking God? Or would they have been satisfied wandering in the wilderness until the end of time if they had just food and water and clothing? Those temporary things that they would have needed over and over again day by day. And that's what these people are doing in John 6. They don't seek Jesus because of the signs. They seek Jesus because they're hungry and he's going to feed them. And Jesus uses that opportunity to say, he says, do not work for the food which perishes. What's he saying? Don't work to eat? No. He's just saying, you're working so hard and following me only to get fed physically. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Now he says, don't work for this food, but work for this food, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. Life to the world, not just to the Jews. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Amen. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. That makes me think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come, all that the Father gives me will come to me, excuse me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. The bread of life, the true bread that has come down out of heaven, is the one who is going to grant those who believe in him eternal life. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? 
Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And how does the Father draw him? Through the gospel. Then I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. See, God draws people through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, not not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. There's a difference here. Israel, they're eating the blessings of God, the bread out of heaven, this manna, this what is it? But they all still died, didn't they? Yeah. And you can say, well, we're still going to die too. But then our hope is that we will be risen again. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 talking about rest. And we'll see why they died because of their unbelief. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He's talking spiritually. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he goes on to talk about whoever eats my, whoever does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has no life in himself. And we think about that and we consider that sometimes when we partake of the uh, Lord's Supper, don't we? Brothers and sisters, it's vitally important that we take of the body and blood of Christ. The bread which come down out of heaven. Through faith. Why did you decide to follow Christ? Because someone promised you that you'd always have food on your plate and water in your cup. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I'm sure it was the furthest thing from your mind too. You needed your sin forgiven and so did I. And someone shared the gospel with us and we were convinced that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth and the only life. And the only way to come to God. Come to God. The furthest thing from my mind is whether or not I had food on my plate the next day or water in my glass. Or if Jesus was going to provide that for me. And why did Israel follow Moses through the Red Sea? You think when Pharaoh was chasing and marching after them and had surrounded them and they had the Red Sea in front of them, that they were worried about what they were going to eat and drink? A month later? No, they were just wanting to be free. But now that's taken care of. Now God has done that miraculous work. I mean, the sea was split. Never mind the plagues. The sea split and I'm walking on dry ground. And Pharaoh's army, the most powerful army in the world at the known time of the known world at the time, is gone at the hand of God. But I'm hungry. Where's God? Moses, it's your fault. We've been better off back in Egypt. 
But we as Christians do that sometimes too, though, don't we? So Exodus 16, we see the murmurings of Israel. We see God manifesting this manna to them and giving them a command to rest. And Jesus, the true bread out of heaven, has come so that we can have forgiveness of sins through his body and blood. And rest. Israel, how familiar do you think they would have been with the idea of taking a whole day and resting? If you recall, when Moses came back to Egypt and was talking to the Pharaoh about letting the people go, what did Pharaoh accuse Israel of being? He accused them of being lazy. And he said, I'm going to take straw away from you now because you're so lazy. And he also said something about them listening to false words. He says, now I'm going to make you work harder so that you don't listen to these false words. And God says, I want you to listen. I want you to take a day and rest to listen to true words. Listen to true words. I think that's quite ironic. These people were slaves. And I can't tell you their schedule. They may have had a day off. I don't know. I doubt it. And now God is teaching them rest. And here we have a few who, even though they've been commanded to gather up twice as much on the sixth day so that they can rest on the seventh, they still go out on the seventh day and look for manna, breaking the commandment. And I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. This is pretty good evidence to support the idea that the Sabbath was not in effect until this time. We do not have any record of Adam and Eve or anyone before this command in Israel after they've left Egypt observing the Sabbath. Resting. Jesus tells us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest from what? Rest from having to work to provide for my family? No. Okay. Rest from tilling the ground so that I can sow the seed so that I can produce vegetables and no rest from what what were the Jews of Israel's day burdened with that Jesus was going to help them to have rest in him and Jesus says I did not come to 
destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. The only person in all of humanity, in all of, all of the Jewish system to be able to fulfill the law perfectly was Jesus Christ. And he comes and says, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, are you weary from trying to earn it? Have you grown weary thinking that you're not doing enough? I thought Jesus came to give us rest. Not that we're not busy with the things of God. Not that we're not involved in growing in our spiritual life. No. But when it comes to salvation, if I've latched on to Jesus Christ, if I've come to him, then his promise to me is rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's see this in in Hebrews chapter 4. Well, let's go to Hebrews 3, excuse me. And I want to start in verse 12. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. We can fall away. That's scriptural. Is once saved, always saved. That's not scriptural. I think we can have confidence in our salvation, and we should. And I think this passage is actually teaching that. It's not teaching us to be worried but to be confident because our faith is what continues to keep us attached to Christ. So we can be confident, but he says, take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our insurance, assurance firm until the, I just said, hold fast to our insurance. (laughs) Hold fast to our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? That's exactly what we're reading. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. Disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And that's what we're seeing in some of these people, isn't it? Exodus 16. God said, rest on the seventh day. They said, no, I'm not going to rest on the seventh day. They're violating the commandment of God. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have not, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. See, we have a choice 
Someone go, comes to us and presents the gospel to us. We can either choose by faith to, excuse me, to accept it and believe it, or we can reject it, which is what Israel did. They were not able to enter because of unbelief. And he says, we can have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day, another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. And notice how some translations, most translations that I know of, will capitalize in verse 10, his. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. Brothers and sisters, have you ever viewed the salvation that you have and I have in Christ as rest from working to try and earn it. His rest. We rest from our works, our trying to earn our salvation when we place our faith and obey the gospel in Jesus Christ. And God is trying to provide Israel who knew very little rest as slaves, a whole 24-hour period every seventh day of rest. Be encouraged by that. Come to me, all who are weary laden, weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your soul. I pray that you found that rest. And because you found that rest in Christ, that you know that there's nothing good that you can do today or tomorrow to earn salvation, that that offers you comfort and gives you confidence in knowing that I, in Christ, I'm okay. And because I'm okay, I want to bear fruit that shows that I'm okay. And I'm resting in him and he's going to bring me home I've partaken of the manna that's come down of out of heaven. And I don't have to question what is it. I know who it is. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And because I'm resting in him, because I'm partaking of the true bread that's come down out of heaven, Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. What's there to complain about? Oh, I know that we will, and I will. But I hope our complaining 
lessons and lessons as the years go by, as the days go by, as we draw closer to eternity, to life everlasting, that the little things we understand in the big picture are not worth complaining at all. God bless you. I pray that you're encouraged by this. Help us. Uh, I pray that we learn from Israel's example. And I just want to thank everyone again for paying attention to these, uh, tuning into these um, videos and the podcasts. And God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you in Northboro sometime. And I pray that you are well, your family's well, and, and that you would see the blessing of God in your life. Take care.